Hi, good evening, everyone. Good to have you here joining us for middle of the week encouragement from God's word and prayer time. Today we're going to be looking at Proverbs chapter 18. What I want to do is read through this chapter uh, together. So if you can help me read by taking a verse or two. Proverbs chapter 18. Lot puts an end to quarrels and decides between powerful contenders. Section of, of wisdom sayings in this chapter as well may not deal with one particular theme. But what I want you to do is take one or two verses of ones that stick out to you and let's, let's talk about those and, and what they mean. I have several written on my list, but I want to take yours first. So as you're going through there, there's one or two that, that stick out to you. Uh, let's go over that one. Go ahead, Donna. Pretty straightforward, isn't it? Um, our mouths can, can get us into trouble. I think about that when I think about road rash. Uh, have to exercise some self-control. You could be in the right, but you say something, um, and it can just escalate everything. All right, any, any other What's your, what sticks out to you? Go ahead. Given the culture today of offenses, everybody's offended for something. But Proverbs does give wisdom as to how to to stay away or or, or how to avoid um, certain things and why why it's wise to avoid certain things. So be careful who you get into contention for or with. And uh, put that together with verse 2 and 17 as well. Verse 2 says, A fool takes no pleasure in understanding, but only in expressing his opinion. Uh, and that's typical when we get in the heat of an argument. We're really not listening and understanding. Uh, so I wrote on there, listen to understand. Seek to understand. And then verse 17, it says, um, the one who states his case first seems right until the other comes and examines him. Hear both sides, right? Um, both sides might not be equally right, but hear them both, and then you can make a true uh, decision and, and discernment. All right, anything else sticks out? Got a few. Um, verse 5, not good to be partial to the wicked or to deprive the righteous of justice. Um, just a, again, a um, tidbit of wisdom there, isn't it? It's, it's important. Um, I think about the Israeli-Palestine conflict and the, the heated, uh, um, you know, hey, <laughs> you can understand why that would get heated very quickly and people are dying and being brutally killed. Um, but in these kind of conflicts, um, everything is not 50-50. Everything is not balanced. And, and uh, it says here, it's not good to be partial to the wicked. Be careful about that. Let me take another one. Um, <coughs> verse 14. I don't know if anybody said that one. Uh, a man's spirit will endure sickness, but a crushed spirit, who can bear? It's comparing physical sickness with mental anguish. Um, and, and when I think about that, words can tear down 
someone worse than poison. Um, our mental being can be as important as our physical. Um, if we're not thinking right, um, it, it's as important to lift someone, um, to, to, to lift or encourage them as it is to, to feed and eat properly. Or let me say it this way, it's important for us to have the right frame of mind as it is for us to physically eat. Um, and so some of the physical things um, we, we, we highlight or we're aware of, but what about that, that crushed spirit? Um, it can be very difficult on a person. Um, pick out a few other ones. Verse 18. <laughs> the lot puts an end to quarrels. You know what I wrote after this verse? Rock, paper, scissors. Um, it makes sense. There's some things that just settle the dispute. Um, we do it with the kids a lot. Whose turn is it? Okay, you got your turn last time. It's my turn to go first. Okay, rock, paper, scissors. Make it random. They, they just, and, and they, they calm down, and even if they don't win, they go, okay, that was fair. It's fair to everybody. Um, and, and that's important. And that's what he's saying with the lot. Um, um, sometimes you just, you have to settle things that way. Who wins this time and who wins the next time? <clears throat> um, verse 21. Death and life are in the power of the tongue. Those who love it will eat its fruits. Um, how powerful, how, how um, impactful the things that we say. Uh, we can't take them back but they impact, and we, we need to be aware of that as we, as we interact. Of course, I love verse 22. He who finds a wife finds a good thing and obtains favor from the Lord. God gives us, um, extends his grace even through our relationships, and he gives us that to, um, that good relationship is a benefit to us, and it's a benefit from the Lord. Then I want to end on verse 24 and ask the question, what does it mean? How a man of many companions may come to ruin. Why does it say that? What is it saying there? A man of many companions can come to ruin. Good close friends will keep you accountable. What's the danger of having many acquaintances? Anybody have a thought on that? Yes. Almost like saying, when you're trying to be a friend to everyone, you're going to have a conflict. You can't do that. Um, so um, you're torn in too many ways. You can't please everybody, nor should you. Um, you should find out what is worth sacrificing, giving you really good advice. You can't just... That, that's kind of like doing a survey solution, right? Companies don't know where to go, and they just ask everybody. Well, everybody is not giving you wisdom, and it's not equal. It's not a vote thing. It's the right thing. Get pure wisdom, not just input. And friends are, some who call themselves friends are willing to give you input, but is that real wisdom? 
don't weigh it all the same. So I just wanted to run through a few things uh, to, to consider. I'll go through uh, a proverb each time or until we, uh, till we finish or hit a low. So you can expect that each, each Wednesday. Now next Wednesday, uh, we have our business meeting, testimonies. So we have two weeks where we won't actually be doing uh, um, Bible-led discussion. So keep that. Meditating through Ezekiel. One, we saw the vision of God. And the vision of the glory of God was a very odd image, but a very striking image. And it kept rising higher and higher, almost as if you saw the feet of God, and then you kept looking higher and higher. You couldn't even see his face. But you just had this image that it was increasing in glory as you went up. And then in chapter 2, God begins to speak to Ezekiel and calls him. And then in chapter 3, he feeds him the scroll of his word, and then he commissions him to be a watchman for the people. And one of the things that's interesting about Ezekiel is we get to see the behind-the-scenes process almost of how a vision or how an illustration is made. So God will bring him to these places. Or he will put an illustration or he'll say, do this. And it may seem strange to us, but he's doing something with that and he's illustrating his truth. And there's something about the way that Ezekiel presents it that explains to us that God's words are not just precepts and laws. Right? If God's word were just do this, do that, why would he show himself as a vision? If God's words were just something that's a formula to be understood, why did he give an illustration of Ezekiel eating a scroll? There's something in the image that's worth, right? A picture is worth a thousand words. There's something in the vision that conveys the truth about God's word. I think sometimes we can miss in our overly rational era where we try to make everything be a set of precepts or a set of arguments. The Bible is not science. Right? So, we get into chapter 4. We're going to see one of the first illustrations, the first illustration that he has Ezekiel do. And you, son of man, Take a brick and lay it before you, and engrave on it a city, even Jerusalem, and put siege works against it, and build a siege wall against it, and cast up a mound against it. Set up camps also against it, and plant battering rams against it all around. And you take an iron griddle and place it as an iron wall between you and the city, and set your face towards it, and let it be in a state of siege, and press the siege against it. This is a sign for the house of Israel. Then lie on your left side and place the punishment of the house of Israel upon it. For the number of the days that you will lie on it, you shall bear their punishment. For I will assign to you a number of days, 390 days, equal to the number of the years of their punishment. So long shall you bear the punishment of the house of Israel. And when you have completed these, you shall lie down a second time, but on your right side, and bear the punishment of the house of Judah. 
Forty days I assign you, a day for each year. And you shall set your face towards the siege of Jerusalem with your arm bared, and you shall prophesy against the city. And behold, I will place cords upon you so that you cannot turn from one side to the other till you have completed the days of your siege. And you take wheat and barley, beans and lentils, millet and emmer, and put them into a single vessel and make your bread from them. During the number of the days you lie on your side, 390 days, you shall eat it. And your food you shall eat shall be by weight, 20 shekels a day. From day to day you shall eat it. And water you shall drink by measure, the sixth part of a hymn. From day to day you shall drink. And you shall eat it as a barley cake, baking it in his sight on human dung. And the Lord said, Thus shall the people of Israel eat their bread unclean among the nations where I will drive them. Then I said, Ha, Lord God, behold, I have never defiled myself from my youth. Up till now I have never eaten what died of itself or was torn for a beast, nor tainted meat come into my mouth. Then he said to me, See, I assign to you cow's dung instead of human dung on it, which you may prepare your bread. Moreover, he said to me, Son of man, behold, I will break the supply of bread in Jerusalem. They shall eat bread by weight and with anxiety, and they shall drink water by measure and in dismay. And I will do this that they may lack bread and water and look at one another in dismay and rot away because of their punishment. All right. What do we see going on in this chapter? God has said Ezekiel set up a demonstration. Now let's just talk about the different prophets. Um, you know, let's just throw out a prophet out there, okay? How did Daniel prophesy? Okay, he had dreams and then he would interpret those dreams. Okay, how did um, he, how did Isaiah prophesy? spoke to God, and sometimes he would illustrate the conversations he had with God, okay? What about Jeremiah? What was different about Jeremiah? Hmm? Okay? He put together the judgments of God in such a way that it had an emotional impact on the people, the hearers, and the speakers, Okay? All right. What about Hosea? Anybody got a... How did Hosea prophesy? Through his marriage. Through his relationship. And his kids. He illustrated who God was by taking his wife back who had cheated on him. I guess what I'm saying by that is this. All the prophets seem to speak in different ways. Why do you think that is? Isn't their general argument the same? So you said what? You said so we could be what? Okay, so we could be without excuse. 
you to, to listen to the spirit behind the message, not necessarily the method, okay? Oh, it would know that it was God. Go ahead. It appears to me, so let's just talk about Ezekiel. What is the strength of Ezekiel? <laughs> yeah, he was very visual. He's very visual, isn't he? Now, what is he doing? And we might say he's giving an illustration. And here's the thing that's interesting is he is setting up some kind of artistic display. Right? He set up a project and set it up before the people. The other thing he did is he somehow illustrated it in some kind of acting form, right? So when you look at Ezekiel, a lot of his prophecies have to do with not just an image, but also acting through it. And it's almost like he's doing drama to portray the prophecies of God, right? Which is interesting. So what's the drama that he's outlining here? Okay. You talk about how bad the siege is going to be, right? Now, let's think about it this way. One way you could look at it is this. There's 40 different authors of the Bible, but none of them disagree. All these prophets say the God's word in different ways, but none of them ever disagree. And many of them quote each other. Jeremiah quotes Micah. Micah may be quoting Isaiah because him and Isaiah share seven verses together. There is some going on there with the prophets. They agreeing with each other and they saying this brother is right and they all quote Moses. Right? They all quote Moses. Big brother Moses. <laughs> That's the law right there, right? So they're all quoting all these things and what are they doing? They, you can't help but say, is this God? Yes, it is. It all agrees. And now he's illustrating this thing. Now, did Isaiah talk about that? Yes, he did. He talked about it in elegance. Isaiah's elegant. Jeremiah talked about it. Yes, he did. He gave a firsthand account, almost reality TV, of how it felt to run away from a losing battle. That's one of his prophecies. Then Ezekiel is given an illustration of how it must feel to starve to death while in a siege. That's what he did. And apparently, this is something that he kept up for over a year. 390 days, that's more than a year. And another 40 on top of that. But he is illustrating that God is serious. Now, Ezekiel did have an objection. What was his objection? Anybody know? He didn't want to use human dung. Why? It wasn't that it was nasty, it that it would have made him unclean. And he really took his ceremonial cleanliness seriously because to an ancient Israelite, being unclean was like, being intentionally being unclean was like sinning. Okay? And he didn't want to do that. But God did tell him to do it, which is kind of a clue. It basically tells us that God didn't, Ritual cleanliness did not mean a whole lot to God when it came to delivering his word. Because he just took commanded him to break it. But then he also bear it with the 
prophet's weakness and not portraying that. But it's interesting, isn't it? That the prophet have an objection to what God did. Then God didn't railroad him either. That's the crazy part. If I was God, I'd be like, listen, bro. You get that human boo-boo and you, you eat that on top of that, okay? And you do what I told you. But that's not what he did. God is so gracious, isn't he? He makes way for us in so many different ways. All right, so God illustrates that. And we'll look at more illustrations. One thing I want us to not lose sight of, though, is that even though chapter 4 is a new chapter, it's a continuation of the glory of God that he saw at the river, okay? So this is not new in a sense of where is God speaking from, okay? It's funny, and, it, and nothing is, is sadder than a man who is preaching God's word who's trying to sound like another man. It is something sad about it. We all got to use the voice that God gave us, however that is. And maybe that's drawing a picture. <laughs> Amen. <laughs> yep, we're making a play, right? We're marrying the wrong woman. I mean, don't do that. But. 